We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Good morning. Good morning. And it is Thursday and we still do not have a speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives. So Jim Jordan got 199 votes in the second round. So one less than the first. So how long will the U.S. House of Representatives continue uh, to hold rounds over Representative Jim Jordan or will he concede and we move on? Those are all of the questions out of Washington today. But joining me now from the United States Senate to talk about all of this and more is our good friend, Senator Tuberville. Uh, And uh, Senator, I really appreciate you joining and I want to get your comments first on uh, the House of Representatives race, how, if anything, this impacts uh, the the Senate's business and your thoughts on the overall GOP leadership right now. Well, thanks for having me, Jenna. It's good to talk to you again. It's uh, it's a mess. It's a clown show. Uh, I think everybody sees that. You know, we you know we send four trillion dollars up here and think that we're supposed to spend it the right way and help the American citizens, but very little goes in that direction. I talked to several members of the house last night and uh you know they're obviously concerned uh, they don't know which direction it's going uh i think at the end of the day they're probably going to give more powers to the to the uh speaker uh interim speaker but if you do that you have to change the constitution so i'm not for that they need to get a speaker but what it's doing is whatever we do in the senate if it starts in the senate uh they can't get anything done in the house so right now we've got to get a budget done uh but Here's the deal. The Democrats don't want to get a budget done, okay? They want to do an omnibus in December where they can throw billions of dollars in to help bail out their buddies and mayors and governors of these blue states that that have wasted money, taxpayer money and can't pay their bills. So the Democrats aren't concerned about this. And fortunately, as Republicans, we are, but we got to get something done and they got to get going over there and hopefully we'll get a speaker soon. Absolutely. And um, and I, I think that that is what the American people genuinely want is to get back to the business of governing. And uh, and, and speaking of what's going on in the Senate, um, you have continued to uh, have the um, the holds on the uh, the military promotions and so forth. And you've received a lot of criticism for that. I personally am grateful uh, to you because you're holding out for the pro-life uh, cause and to make sure that we aren't funding abortions through the military. What is the status of uh, that fight and uh, from the rest of the GOP uh, caucus as well? Well, it's been a hard fight. I haven't uh, had 100% help on the, even the Republican side, which is amazing me, but uh, it doesn't make me any difference. I'm fighting for the right thing. I'm pro-life. And I'm also an American citizen that wants to go by the Constitution. And 
this is abortion, as you know, Jen, is probably the most controversial topic in mine and your lifetime in this country. Now, obviously, you got wars and all that, but just a topic that people disagree with is, is abortion. And Joe Biden, after Roe Wade went down, he can't control the states. He thinks he can control the federal government employees. And and this and the, the Veterans Committee, uh, I mean, the veterans, for instance, uh, they decided to put abortion in the VAs. Well, I fought that, but I lost with a vote on the floor. Then they turned around and did the, uh, not with a vote, because they knew it wouldn't pass, so they did it by a memo from the White House. They turned into dictators instead of, uh, letting us legislate, they want to dictate from the White House. And so that's the reason I'm blocking the promotions. And also, I'm trying to bring light to how woke our military is becoming. It is, I don't know whether we could fight a war right now. We got some great military people, but we got a lot of people in there can't determine what, what gender they are. And uh, the Democrats, they don't care. Uh, you know, they just, they, all they're trying to do is get votes and create controversy. But you know, the number one thing that we have to have in this country is a military that is strong, together, and it will fight to defend the people in this country. I don't know where we stand on that 100% as we speak with our military. And that's really scary, quite frankly. I mean, the United States military uh, needs to definitely do better, and uh, we need to have confidence uh, in our military. And and speaking of that, there has been a lot of questions in terms of the intelligence failures surrounding the Israel and Gaza conflict. And uh, a lot of people are also questioning why the United States uh, wouldn't have been aware of this. And so even though uh, understandably, it's it's Israel's failure primarily. Um, the United States has always been an ally to Israel. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, the intelligence failures of the United States and the United States military and the ongoing uh, conflict in terms of the United States' response? And Jenna, you're exactly right on what you just said. And I've been saying that since what happened on October the 7th is we pay, in this country alone, billions of dollars to CIA, FBI, or intelligence agencies. And Israel is our number one ally. And then Mossad, their intelligence agency, they spend millions and millions of dollars on their intelligence agency because they live in the most dangerous section of the world. They're surrounded by mostly enemies that can get to them in a short period of time. And I'm asking that same, what happened? Is it, what happened to them actually happened to us on Jan- on uh, 9-11. You know, what happened to our intel? Something is not right here. Something is not right that the most dangerous place in the world, on a holiday, a Jewish holiday, that they weren't really prepared. And then I'm asking, wait a minute, I'm hearing that it took four, five, six hours for the military to get to the to the border to help these people. Four, five, six hours? I mean, this is a country that's the size of, Mississippi and Alabama together. It doesn't take that long. And there's something going on here that we don't know, uh, that we can't put our finger on. And it's kind of scary uh, about what's happening because we're on the verge of something that's very devastating. And and they're going in probably, and I don't know for sure, if they go in to Gaza uh, and do this hand-to-hand combat or whatever they're calling it, Hezbollah's probably going to come in from the north and then we'll end up getting in, and all heck's going to break loose. So it's just it's scary. Uh, I don't know what happened on that day, what happened with the time lapse, what happened with uh, you know the, all the information that was supposed to be gathered. Uh, we hear that Egypt actually knew, or somebody actually knew what was going on. I forget what country, uh, but uh, 
Uh, nobody used that information. Sounds familiar to what happened to us on 9-11. It really does. And I'm speaking to Senator Tommy Tuberville out of the great state of Alabama. And Senator, I know you have um, a meeting in just a few minutes. So uh, last question for you, sir. And thank you so much for your time and standing up for pro-life and for America and for the conservative values. We also appreciate that and are praying for you and your colleagues uh, in Washington daily. Uh, What is your response as well to uh, how Joe Biden was received and not really well received uh, in his trip to Israel? And he didn't bring any Americans home. And yet uh, it's still the policy of the United States to charge Americans uh, for their flight home. A lot of people are find this uh, really incredible uh, from the Biden administration. Yeah, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. They're probably going to <laughs> end up putting Palestinians uh, from Gaza on planes and fly them into the United States. So that's ridiculous uh, that we we would even that would even be thought of. Uh, we need to help get our people out. And when and the same thing happened in Afghanistan. But to go back on what happened with Joe Biden going over and think he's going to meet with all these presidents, this this is not this wasn't about America. This was about Joe Biden and how they've handled foreign policy, along with Blinken and all of his underlings. They have absolutely screwed the whole Middle East up by giving money and allowing Iran to gain back the money. President Trump had them broke, and now they're back to $100 billion to the, to the plus, giving money to all these underlings like Hamas and Hezbollah. But this is about Joe Biden, yeah, about how weak he is. He can't make a decision. He goes over and going to give $100 million to Palestinians. Now, listen, uh, we want to help them because we know, like anything else, there's good and bad in every country. But right now, I mean, he is looked at from the world view as somebody that is very, very soft. And we cannot have a president in this country that's going to handle things like an egg. If something happens to us or our, our uh, number one ally like Israel, you better be strong and precise. And let me say this, too. When that happened that morning, the first thing he should have done was activated the military in our country, sent them to the border, and said nobody else comes in. That border is going to get us also. Our, our southern border is embarrassment to the people and the taxpayers of this country, and it's going to kill a lot of people, and it's going to be on the heads of the Democrats because they could care less. So well said. And we'll be talking about the southern border uh, later on in this show. But uh, Senator Tuberville, thank you so much for your time. And I know you have to run off to that uh, meeting, so we'll let you go. But really appreciate, as always, uh, your comments and your time this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Jenna. God bless. God bless you as well. So. Uh, you know, this is, I think that the senator just said it so well that uh, we need to get, be getting back to the business of uh, the American people. And, um, you know, I, I fully support the fact that uh, we are hopefully going to get a better speaker than Kevin McCarthy. Listeners know that uh, I was skeptical, uh, to say it mildly, of uh, his speakership. But if you're going to vacate the chair, then the Republicans and the majority need to get it together to come behind someone so that they can put in a leader and get back to not only addressing what's going on in Israel, um, all of the budget that the senator was talking about, but also what happened to the impeachment of Joe Biden and all of these other uh, weaponization of government committees. Um, some of these, some of the business is still going on uh, some, but we're not hearing anything about that in the news. This is all about uh, 
uh, just taking time to then go through the speaker race. And granted, uh, we had uh, Representative Bob Good on a couple of weeks ago right after the speaker vote to vacate. And and I think that his comments were were good in the sense that he said, if we take a couple of weeks and come behind a leader and then get back to the business, I'd rather take out a couple of weeks to upset the status quo because the status quo wasn't working. Well, that's fine. And, and I think that that <clears throat> is, uh, is valid. But what we're seeing currently in Washington is just playing right into the leftist agenda and their narrative because the GOP looks like it's in chaos. So my personal opinion, uh, as all of you know, I have predicted that Jim Jordan, unfortunately, will probably not get to the requisite 217 votes. Uh, from what I'm hearing from sources on the Hill, there is a coordinated effort to ensure that every round he'll get less and less votes. We saw that he got one vote less than the 200 he got in the first round uh, in the second round. So we'll see what happens. Um, the, the third round is supposed to take place today. I don't think we have confirmed a specific time yet, but certainly uh, AFR will be monitoring that. And of course, I'm always tweeting at Jenna Ellis ESQ uh, with all of those updates. And and I think that it's uh, that it's incredibly important that we get a good leader in Washington. And I'm fully behind Jim Jordan. I know him well. Uh, listeners of this show know that he is a regular on this program. I think he would be a great leader. The concern that I have is if he can't get to 217, then how many rounds is this going to go? How much time are we going to take out of the business in Washington? before uh, we get to someone that even the moderates are willing to rally behind. It is frankly embarrassing for the GOP that you have the entire Democrat caucus behind their their leader, Hakeem Jeffries, and he's getting more votes from the minority party than the majority party for Jim Jordan. So my suggestion is to call your representative uh, today and let them know how you feel about uh, whether you like Jim Jordan, whether you are concerned about the speaker's race, uh, whatever your feelings are, because a lot of the representatives who haven't voted for Jim Jordan are saying that they're not going to cave to a pressure campaign. And I think that's ridiculous. I agree with uh, my good friend Jim DeMent, um, former representative, and he said on uh, X, formerly known as Twitter, yesterday, this isn't a pressure campaign when you have constituents that are calling you asking to represent their voice in Washington. That's literally your job. So this isn't about a pressure campaign. It's about we the people telling our representatives, you better get behind Jim Jordan or behind at least a solid Republican leader so that we can get back to doing the business of Washington, helping Israel. And I would love to continue the impeachment of Joe Biden because of the disastrous foreign policy, everything that the Senator uh, uh, Tuberville just spoke about. So anyway, we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. We want to welcome a new sponsor to American Family Radio, and I hope you give them your full support, and that's Christian Healthcare Ministries, chministries.org. If you're like most of us, you're feeling the strain of rising healthcare costs. Well, good news, Christian Healthcare Ministries may be the answer you're looking for. CHM is an affordable, faith-based option to traditional healthcare that provides members the freedom to choose doctors without worrying about networks or waiting periods since they are not insurance. Can you say 
Freedom. CHM is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry and has been around for over 40 years, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. They are tried and true and have members in all 50 states and around the world and have covered billions in medical bills. Members not only get advantages from the affordability, flexibility, and reliability of CHM, but they also receive access to 24-7 telehealth services at no additional cost. It's no surprise that doctors across the country appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. Make the switch today by visiting chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And as we are continuing to uh, look forward to the 2024 election, and that goes beyond the presidential election, everyone should be concerned also about down ticket races and uh, ensuring that conservatives keep the majority in the House, perhaps even retake the Senate, and also, of course, state and local elections. In a presidential election year, often the focus and the emphasis is so much on presidential races that down ticket uh, can be helped in terms of of the vote getting out because people want to vote in presidential elections. But sometimes, uh, and especially in media, we're not talking enough about the other races. So my good friend Scott Pressler, who is the founder and executive director of Early Vote Action, or EVA, is joins me now. And frankly, if you haven't been following Scott, um, he is one of the best grassroots uh organizers and, in my opinion, has done more to register uh, new Republican voters and um, has done more to turn out the vote than, frankly, uh, the Republican National Party. So um, he's doing a really fantastic job. So uh, good morning, Scott, and thanks so much for joining me. Good morning, Jenna. Well, so you are the founder and executive director of Early Vote Action, where your goal is to turn out Republican vote in future elections. So how, um, what is your strategy? And uh, talk about the landscape of looking ahead to 2024. Well, the impetus behind earlyvoteaction.com was born in part because 2022 should have been a red tsunami. You know, you have Joe Biden, who is this disastrous president. You have the border that's leaking like a sieve. You have this war that we didn't have where Putin's invading Ukraine. You know, the economy's terrible. Jobs are going overseas. Everything is more expensive. We should have had a resounding victory, but it didn't happen. And in part, and I know people, this is a contentious issue, but hear me out. I firmly believe, Jenna, that if Republicans wait to vote on one day in 2024, then Joe Biden is already reelected. The machines went down in Arizona on one day. It snowed in Nevada, in Reno, in Washoe County, a Republican county, on Election Day. In Luzerne County, Pennsylvania, they ran out of paper ballots on Election Day. And so, therefore... I, at earlyvoteaction.com, were focused on a diverse, all-of-the-above approach to voting to make sure that we actually win elections. And while I am focused on Arizona, Nevada, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, like you said, I'm bigger picture and forward-thinking enough to realize that we have elections this 
year in November. And so I've been focusing since January of this year on Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. And we have already had a victory electing Governor-elect Jeff Landry outright on Saturday, October 14th. So the plan is working, and I'm ready to have victory this November. Yeah, and and that's such an an excellent plan and strategy and way to move forward. And um, I was really excited to see that win in Louisiana with uh, former Attorney General uh, Jeff Landry, now Governor-elect. That was an amazing flip of that seat in Louisiana. And so when you're talking about encouraging Republicans to engage in early voting, uh, vote by mail, and lawful ballot harvesting, you know, depending on the rules, um, I think that this is in stark contrast to the rhetoric that was coming out from the RNC and also the Trump campaign in 2020 when there was this universal vote-by-mail push in states that had never done this before. But we've seen, even in my former home state of Colorado, um, vote-by-mail has been a thing since 2012. We also see that in Arizona. And so how are you approaching different states in terms of what their particular practice is? Because states run their own elections, so it can look different. Well, yes, ma'am. Well, number one, I understand that people's hesitancy, I think it is warranted because by nature, when have we ever trusted the government? <laughs> but at the same <laughs> Hopefully time, never. if something is lawful and if something is legal, I believe it is asinine not to use every tool to our advantage, especially if the Democrats are doing it, right? And so look at Louisiana. This is a really interesting case study. The election is on a Saturday, by the way. It was October 14th, and LSU was playing football at Tiger Stadium versus Auburn. You had all these different things that could have impacted people not voting on one day. And so we had a robust early voting message. We were getting people to vote early in person or locking their votes by absentee. And I want to be clear. Think about for a moment any of you at home that right now that maybe uh, have hesitancy on mail-in ballots. Think about people who may need to vote by mail because of the nature of their job. Truckers, members of our United States military, nurses, doctors, airline pilots, flight attendants. Those are all people who are conservative by nature, and they may not be home on Election Day. And that's why having this robust diverse approach to voting is so important. And in Nevada, here's the kicker. I really want people to perk up your ears for this, please. Adam Laxalt was running for Senate in the state of Nevada. He lost by 8,000 votes. 8,000. Now, here's the worst part. 155-0 registered Nevada Republicans did not vote in 2022. And the reason why it's so bad, Jenna, It's because, like you said, some states have universal mail-in voting. That means that every eligible voter receives a mail-in ballot whether or not he requests one. That means that 150,000 registered Nevada Republicans received a mail-in ballot and for whatever reason were so dejected or demoralized or just didn't think their vote didn't count or matter – that they didn't even fill out the ballot and walk 10 feet to their mailbox to lock in their vote. And even worse, that means that we didn't have a Republican Party apparatus or structure that was knocking on those doors trying to legally and lawfully harvest those ballots, which, by the way, is legal in Nevada. That 
Senate seat in Nevada was so winnable, and it's a mistake and it's shameful that we didn't do everything in our power to win. Uh, really well said, Scott Pressler, founder and executive director of Early Vote Action. And you raise um, some really great points that elections come down to math, really. Um, and it just it, they come down yeah. to numbers. And a lot of people, especially in the wake of 2020 and their support for President Trump, um, do feel demoralized. And um, I, I have said since then, the response should not be, well, I'm just not going to vote. My vote doesn't count. I'm not going to engage. What good is it? Because otherwise, if, if we stay home, we are just giving elections away because the left and the Democrats want to win elections. And I think Republicans should want to win elections. And so uh, let's also talk about where the RNC is in all of this, because um, I have followed you for years on uh, X, formerly known as Twitter. And it's been, what, six months that you've been trying to get a hold of, uh, of Chairwoman <laughs> Ronna McDaniel, and she just refuses to respond. Um, that, to me, is just so infuriating and condescending and embarrassing for her. Um, people who listen to me frequently know I am not a fan at all of Ronna McDaniel, did not support uh, her being uh, reelected as chair, chairwoman of the RNC. I think she's been utterly ineffective, has uh, lost you know, races since she has been elected. Um, and so what has been your message to her and why do you think she hasn't responded? Well, you know, my message has been one of respect and really just in, inquisitive. I posted, I think in April, you know, many months ago, I said, you know, Chairwoman, Joe Biden has this plan of youth outreach, and they're going to be having all these influencers. They're inviting them to the White House. They're giving them talking points. There's a strategy. There's a plan. What are we doing to combat it? And I even offered the very uh, generous statement of saying, why don't you do a Twitter space? What would be cooler than hearing from the chairwoman of the party on a Twitter space talking to all of the voters across the country about our plan? And, you know, I haven't heard back, but my dad, he always told me since I was young, Scott, it's not good enough to present a problem unless you come up with a solution. And that's why we're here. We are the solution. And I know that we're limited on time, so I really want to hone in on this. We have elections this November. Everybody listening to the Jenna Ellis show right now. Kentucky governorship, Daniel Cameron, Mississippi governorship, Tate Reeves, New Jersey and Virginia. We have state legislative races. If you're tired of Democratic Governor Murphy in that state, you vote straight ticket Republican. You take back the legislature this November. And in Virginia, get this. We have Governor Glenn Youngkin in a state that has been blue, Virginia, since 2008. If we pick up two state Senate seats in Virginia this November, we will have an entirely Republican legislature in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And arguably the most important the reason why I'm in Pennsylvania right now and I'm driving around in my car eating granola and quinoa for the next three weeks is because we have Judge Carolyn Corluccio running for the Supreme Court in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. If you care about election integrity, if you care about the Supreme Court ruling on mail-in ballots, if you care about the fact that Democratic Governor Wolf put COVID-positive patients into nursing homes and locked down the state, and you don't want any more mask mandates or lockdowns, then you make sure that you get out and vote on Tuesday, November 7th for Judge Carolyn Corluccio for the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, and you make a plan this November to win those elections. 
And Scott, I think a lot of those races um, people just aren't aware of. And it's really sad, uh, unfortunately, to see that a lot of these judgeships, for example, and especially special elections, uh, kind of fly under the radar uh, because a lot of people are only hearing from Ronna McDaniel when she decides to go on Fox News. I mean, that's really, you know, she she won't do a Twitter space, but, you know, she'll go and, and talk to uh, basically what is the uh, the the network that is uh, the press shop for the for the RNC. And uh, and we don't put enough emphasis on some of these state and local elections. And so uh, where can people in their own state find out more about um, what elections are being held, what what uh, people they should vote for? I mean, even in my former home state of Colorado, every election, I always get um, inquiries from people saying, I don't know who to vote for necessarily. I don't know whether to, we have a judge retention system in Colorado. I don't know whether to vote yes or no. Um, I don't know anything about about this, and they don't necessarily trust um, what's called the Colorado Blue Book that just gives, you know, kind of some objective measurements. Um, so where can people in their states, is there a one, one-stop one shop, or, or should they be uh, looking for a place in their own home state? Well, generally, for example, like Louisiana, they have a website called govote.com, but that's spelled G-E-A-U-X-V-O-T-E.com. <laughs> Or I think Pennsylvania is votepa.gov or vote.pa.gov. And generally, you can find your ballot. You can find who is running, what the amendments are, if any, what the bond proposals are. But, I mean, right now, you can go to my my Twitter or my ex, uh, at Scott Pressler, S-C-O-T-T-P-R-E-S-L-E-R. But if you want to make a difference, and let's say that you're living in Colorado right now or California or Connecticut or Washington, whatever, I launched last night an ambitious goal of writing 10,000 letters into Allegheny County, Pennsylvania. Now, why am I doing this? Number one, for Judge Carolyn Carluccio for the Supreme Court. But number two, Allegheny County is a blue county that is the second largest in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. We got a guy running for county executive named Joe Rocky, R-O-C-K-E-Y. He's up against a socialist, a far-left regressive, that we already have crime going up in the city of Pittsburgh, and they're reducing the police force. If you want to make an actual difference, I want you to please go to earlyvoteaction.com and sign up for postcards or go to my Twitter. I just launched a Google Doc that within an hour of launching, we recruited 150 volunteers. If I get 2,000 volunteers to each write five letters, that is our goal of 10,000 hitting mailboxes on uh, October 31st, right before the election. And I'm telling you, winning Allegheny County, winning the Supreme Court seat would set us up for victory in having Pennsylvania elect a Republican president in 2024. Yeah, so I would encourage everyone, follow Scott Pressler on X. You can get a lot of updates there. It's at Scott, S-C-O-T-T, and Pressler is with one S, P-R-E-S-L-E-R, known as hashtag the persistence because you are persistent. And in just the last two minutes I have with you, Scott, and thank you again Mm -hmm. so much for your work. Um, There was a study speaking about uh, the the young people and turning out the vote and uh, the Republican National Party uh, you know, not really addressing this. I know that they have now a youth vote campaign. 
uh, and I spoke with one of their co-chairs um, on the program earlier this week. But there was a study that came out that said that Republicans lost margins with the 18 to 29 year olds have nearly doubled in national elections since 2000. Why do you think that is and what can be done in terms of getting out the conservative youth vote? Well, I'm a millennial. We're kind of like the bad generation. <laughs> now, hey, I'm a millennial too, older, so I, I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> as we've gotten older, uh, we're starting to vote more Republican. But I'll tell you, these Gen Zs, oh my gosh, there is hope for them. I mean, and, and I know this is anecdotal. I know it's my personal experience. But I went to Slippery Rock University. All the kids that I registered were, were Republican. I went to Penn State University in Center County at State College. That's like the quote-unquote belly of the beast. And let me tell you, the overwhelming majority of students I registered are Republican. They're tired of the unaffordable gas prices. They're tired of the food prices. They can't afford a car. They're not going to be able to have a house, raise a family, raise a family that isn't being sexualized by the Democratic propaganda in our schools. And they don't want the mask mandates. They don't want the lockdowns. For many of them, their high school senior year was ruined because of the Democratic lockdowns. Those are the messages, and they don't want the censorship. They don't want government censorship telling them what they can and cannot do. We, if we're going to be successful, all we have to do is present our positive alternative message of opportunity and bring it to the kids and show up. And I have demonstrated that. And I'm telling you, Gen Z is coming over. They are ripe for the opportunity to come to the Republican Party, but we need to be there and we need to welcome them into the party and not denigrate them on social media. Yeah, really well said. Scott Pressler, so proud of you and your work. Thanks so much. He's the founder and executive director of Early Vote Action. And I would encourage everyone as well, find your your family research council or local uh, policy action that's conservative in your state. They can give you a lot of good information as well, but be engaged. We need to be doing this. We'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. I'd like to take a minute to have a heart to heart with you. If you're able, place your hand over your heart. Can you feel it? My strong heartbeat reminds me that I'm alive. See, it's the same for an unborn baby. Their heart begins to form at conception and at just three weeks is already beating. At five weeks, a baby's heartbeat can be heard on an ultrasound. That's where preborn steps in, rescuing 200 babies every day from abortion simply by providing a mother with a free ultrasound and allowing her to hear her child's heartbeat and see their perfectly formed body in the womb. By six weeks, eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a baby is able to suck his or her thumb. Preborn needs our help to save these precious souls. For just $28, you could be the difference between the life or death of a baby. All gifts are tax deductible. To donate, just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby. Or donate securely at preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And speaking of where you can go to find uh, good information about state and local races, I neglected to mention our own AFA uh, site, which is iVoterGuide.com. So you can definitely go there, put in your address, or click a by state. There is a lot of great information there. It's iVoterGuide.com. 
iVoterGuide.com. So turning now to the border, uh, what we're seeing is truly a humanitarian crisis when we're talking about uh, taking in possibly uh, all of these refugees from Gaza, which would be um, it would be a, a security issue for sure. But we're also looking at a crisis on the southern border. And Dale Holes, who is a candidate for state representative in Texas House District 1, joins me now. Mr. Holes has been a statewide activist on border security issues for over a decade. He has been a Texas border volunteer for 12 years, testified to the legislature addressing border issues, drafted legislation concerning a border security interstate compact, and most recently, recently served a three-month tour as a federal volunteer at the Border Patrol Rio Grande Center Processing, or Central Processing Center. So, Mr. Holes, um, thanks so much for joining me, and I don't think it is um, hyperbole to suggest that this really is a crisis on the southern border. Oh, without doubt, and good morning to you. It's uh, the worst we've ever seen. In fact, uh, after all my years of being a a border security activist for the grassroots of Texas, this is exactly the this is the worst case scenario we could have imagined uh, way back then when we had Governor Perry in our state. Well, and and so what really can be done in terms of border security? Because um, we're not really seeing Governor Abbott uh, take the reins as much as he should. Um, I, of course, supported uh, Don Huffines in the primary with his uh, view of using um, Article 1, Section 10 to declare an invasion and actually uh, protect the border uh, for governors themselves. They can do that. And so uh, what is really the solution here when we're talking about border security? Well, I also supported Don Huffines, and he had the right constitutional remedy for what's going on. Uh, we're a dual sovereign uh, system in this country where states are as sovereign as the federal government. And when the federal government is not doing their supposed role, we need to step up as states and do that. Now, what can we do? We can do what we've traditionally done before we had an immigration uh, department, before we had Homeland Security. Texas used to take care of uh, their own uh, border uh, crossing uh, by illegals and outlaws and bandits uh, way back when. Uh, our most famous Texans were called borderers back in the day because they protected our border. We need to get back to that sort of a, a regime that we, we used to do. Uh, right now, you know, the problem with Governor Abbott and with many other governors is they believe, they totally believe in the supremacy of the federal government over all things. And that's just not true. The federal government is supreme with immigration and how you become a citizen. It is not supreme when it comes to protecting uh, border towns. You know, uh, that is something that will fall to Texas if the federal government cannot do that role. Really incredibly well said, and that's such a great distinction that the uniform rule of immigration and naturalization is given to the federal government, to Congress, to legislate on in Article 1, Section 8 of the U.S. Constitution. But in terms of protecting the border, that's not only unspecifically or solely given just to the federal government. And these governors really need to step up. And so why do you think, uh, Dale Holes, and you're running for uh, the, the Texas House, and so why do you think that for Republicans and conservatives, this is something that, that they just seem to not want to touch when for the, the base and constituents and for general Americans, we see the border crisis. We want them to do something about it. But it seems like it's just so easy for them to say, well, hey, we're the state. We can't do it and, and basically blame the federal government. 
Well, number one, we shouldn't make a distinction between Republicans and the base. Uh, the base are the Republicans. What we have is a problem with our elected leaders. Uh, border security is right now a uh, topic from the governor's call in our third special session. We've, had, we've addressed border security in the regular session, in the first special session, and now in the third special session. It's not that we don't care. It's not that we don't, we're not trying to get things fixed. We are being stopped by basically the Democrats in the Texas House. We were so close to one of the best border security bills, HB 20, in the regular session that had ever been put forth by a state legislature. And on the third and final reading, which was the last vote before the House would pass it, uh, a Democrat stood up and said, if we pass border security, it's like declaring war on Mexico. And our Speaker of the House, a Republican, sustained that. We could not find 10 Republicans who would stand up to overrule our Speaker and vote on it anyway. Wow, that is really shameful, quite honestly, because it is an invasion. It's not a declaration of war to simply protect your borders and to have uh, defense. And certainly, um, you know, as we've been discussing this whole segment, Dale Holes, uh, this is a, a a power that uh, is within the purview of the state and uh, not only the governor, but also the legislature. And we saw how much um, the Democrats or the, the rhinos, the Republicans, in name only, um, and, and some of those, uh, how they operated in the state of Texas, particularly in the House, um, with respect to the impeachment of Ken Paxton that ultimately wasn't successful. Um, but is there any sort of grassroots movement in Texas to combat that um, go, moving forward in terms of the 2024 election and beyond? Because um, that type of uh, Republican action is just is just shameful well the good news is that yes the the base is awake to what's going on uh regular republicans are are getting involved as i go knock doors the uh, board security is one of the top issues that all citizens are thinking about right now in fact there are more uh challengers to republican incumbents in the texas state house than has ever happened before as far as I know, the last count I had was 37 challengers to Republican incumbents. So we know we need to make a change. And right now, with the missteps of the House, with the uh, impeachment of Ken Paxson, the refusal to work on border security, the uh, allowing the Democrat chairs to uh, chair committees in the House, we need to have a change. And this is our best chance to do that cultural change to make our House more reflective of the people of Texas. Yeah, and, and I really hope that that happens. And this is why, for everyone listening, local elections matter. State elections matter. We shouldn't just be focused on uh, this truly contentious and I'm Republican uh, GOP primary. I'm so ready for that to be over. And a lot of the, uh, the ridiculous influencer rhetoric on on X, um, a lot of that was on display last night with just, you know, some ridiculousness going on. But um, but this is why the state and local elections matter. And so you also wrote a piece, uh, Dale Holes in American Greatness, which um, I, I find that publication um, brings a lot of very unique and interesting voices. Um, it's one of the publications that I really love to read. And you 
your um, opinion piece here is titled Texas Grassroots Ahead of the Curve on Texas Border Security. When will Texas assert its sovereignty, truly safeguard its citizens and protect its interests? So um, so this was back in September um, of this year. And um, talk a little bit about your experience uh, on the border and actually being um, a a volunteer in terms of uh, a federal volunteer for the uh, Border Patrol Rio Grande Central Processing Center. Um, I think what people are seeing on the news um, isn't really reflecting what's accurately going on in the border. Well, I care passionately about our our border and our Texas border. And for 12 years, I've been going out with the Texas Border Volunteers. And what we do is we post up on the ranch roads, the fence lines, and the pipelines out around the uh, Texas Falfurious Border Patrol uh, station, our checkpoint. And we look for border crossers trying to get around the checkpoint, and we report them to Border Patrol. And Border Patrol will come out, and they do the chasing and the apprehending and such. We're just like the neighborhood watch in the Texas Badlands. So uh, I do that. Now, as part of uh, being a border uh, uh, federal volunteer, uh, before I retired from NASA last year, uh, I had a chance to uh, go and volunteer as a federal employee down in McAllen, Texas, at the Rio Grande Central Processing Center. And uh, that is one of the largest uh, illegal alien processing centers in America. I worked there for three months, uh, six days a week, 10 hours a day, uh, doing chores to help free up our Border Patrol agents to uh, go do law enforcement activities. We would, you know, we would change out papers in the printers and we would feed the detainees and we would make sure that everything that could get done got done. And we did that as federal employees. So uh, we were all vetted when the facility. I must have fed in my time there uh, about 140,000 illegal aliens. And that was before the, the huge rush after Title 42. So um, I, I, I did the, uh, the math on the, uh, what it cost to feed these people. And uh, I, I projected for a year, it cost us $6 million in that one facility to feed all these illegal aliens. So uh, I've seen what's going on. I see the, the pain that our Border Patrol agents are suffering because they are typically, they're really being forced to do a job that is not what they signed up for. And it, it causes, it takes a toll on them. That is a really uh, incredible firsthand account of what's going on in the border. And, um, you know, this truly is an invasion when you're talking about that many people. And that was even before, as you mentioned, Title 42 and, uh, you know, Biden's disastrous border policies. And so when we look at uh, what the Biden administration is contemplating in terms of these refugees from Gaza, I mean, the, the Democrats would like to suggest this is humanitarian and they use that as a pretext, of course, uh, to suggest that that we as America need to uh, to take in these unvetted people. Um, I think that would be a disaster um, from just your experience on the border and understanding this whole entire crisis. Uh, what is your reaction to the Biden administration and that potential outcome? Well, let me just say one thing. Uh, an open border is not humane in any way, shape or form. It is a uh, allows inhumanity more than anybody can possibly imagine in this country. And we're seeing that now. And when you bring over waves of refugees on top of everything, and you're not vetting them because there's no possible way they can vet uh, any of these refugees coming on. They weren't able to vet all the uh, Afghan refugees that came over, even though we had good records on them from being over there for 20 years. There's no way possible 
we can look and see who's coming from Gaza and know if they're a good guy, a bad guy, a good girl, or a bad girl. So those are the things that we would be facing with. We have over north of Houston, Liberty County, uh, Colony Ridge. That is going to be the largest uh, city of illegal aliens in America, 200,000 people. We are being swamped on our border already. We are maxed. You hear the blue cities now complaining about illegal immigration, and they're talking about bringing in more refugees. The, the sad fact is the Biden administration is flying in illegal aliens from all across the planet into the United States. I do not understand why they want to do that, but they are doing it, and that is a fact. And, and it's truly uh, tragic for America. And it's so it's so fascinating, too, because even discussing these things um, is considered now, according to the left and formerly on uh, Twitter before Elon Musk took over. Um, I had commented on my social media uh, in the wake of Afghanistan and accepting a lot of those refugees that were unvetted, um, suggesting that this could lead to um, more incidents of terrorism. We don't know. And that was um, I was actually suspended on social media. Um, and we know now that the Biden administration was colluding with big tech and uh, and looking at all of that. But it's ridiculous that we can't uh, talk about these things in the the accurate and appropriate terms, um, because you're right. It's absolutely not humanitarian. It's not America first. It's not protecting our citizens. And uh, this is something that should not uh, be tolerated. And I hope that the uh, the United States Congress will address this, but also the states uh, to just say absolutely not um, that, that they will not accept any of the refugees and uh, Biden will have to find some blue states and, and the governors that will uh, be OK with uh, with with putting these refugees um, if they come in in some of those locations. But in just the last two minutes I have with you, Dale Holes, um, you are a candidate for state representative in Texas House District one. Where can people find out more about you and your candidacy? Well, they can go to www.holesinthehouse, H-U-L-S, inthehouse.com. And uh, they can look at my uh, information there and uh, make a contribution if they wish. Uh, everything acceptable from, uh, you know, $5 to $5,000. We're, we're, we're happy to take that contribution. We're in a rural uh, house district. And too often the rural Texas uh, representative voice is lost through uh, campaign donations to, uh, uh, from uh, rich Republican districts or even the Speaker of the Texas House, who uh, my opponent, a 10-year, five-term uh, Republican representative, his largest campaign contributor was the Speaker of the House for $54,000 in the last campaign cycle. It's hard to raise money against that kind of uh, you know, uh, corruption, I think. Uh, ethic is certainly not ethical for the Speaker to be uh, financing his own uh, members' uh, campaigns. But anyway, I'm glad you mentioned about speaking out amongst the states. Because three weeks ago, I was on the border, and we had over 100 county sheriffs and state representatives from across the nation come down to the Texas Border Volunteers and listen to uh, briefings by Border Patrol, DPS, and the Texas Border Volunteers on what the situation was. And just three weeks ago, our conversation was over increased crime and fentanyl uh, poisoning across our nation, and that's what these county sheriffs were seeing. Now, wow. the conversation has gone to... Uh, national security and terroristic threats. You know, it is well, Holes, we, we got to leave it there. And I so appreciate um, your your comments. And we'll have you back on for more. And again, you can go to iVoterGuide.com. That's AFA's website. You can also reach me and my team, Jenna, at AFR.net. I'll see you tomorrow morning.
The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com slash AFR and sponsor an ultrasound? Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR.